80 can be achieved very rarely. Amortizations are typically up to 25, although 30 can be achieved very rarely. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Welcome back. It's Sarah Larby. You are listening to Where Should I Invest? Today's guest is David Gustizia, who is a real estate investor and mortgage broker. We have a great conversation. I think you're in for a treat today. And also, if you are interested in attending our first real estate investing and wellness retreat, send me a message. You could either do so on Instagram or send me an email at sarah at sarahlarby.com. It is going to be July 12th. 13th and 14th, and we are limiting it to only 40 people, but we are going to make sure that we go all out and it is going to be a one-of-a-kind retreat for real estate investors to be able to network, learn, develop their skills, but also provide lots of great entertainment and awesome activities along the way. So I hope to see you there. We are going to cap it as soon as we have 40 people. We are going to limit it, but it is going to be absolutely epic. I'm super excited about it. And uh, again, just send me a message or an email if you want to attend. Let's, uh, let's bring in David and get on with the podcast. David, welcome to the show. How are you? Very good. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. How are you? Good. It's, uh, it's great to connect again. I mean, we've, uh, we've been working together on, on different things uh, for my business for probably about a, a year and a half to two years. So I'm excited to bring you on and uh, you are a wealth of knowledge. Uh, you do many things. Um, and, but maybe before we get started, can you just give us an umbrella of all of the different businesses that you have, you know, mortgage broker standpoint and all that good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I've uh, been a, been a long time listener. You, you guys have had some phenomenal guests and uh, thanks so much for the invite to the show. You know, so we've, we've worked together, I guess, mainly in, in my bookkeeping capacity. Um, so for those that, that may be familiar with it, I ran a company um, along with my wife called JAE Bookkeeping. And so we launched um, after really finding a niche in the market for, it actually started out just with real estate agents and then very quickly transitioned into real estate investors. And what we found at the time was there was a, a huge gap in the market for good knowledge in bookkeeping, first of all, in general, I think it's, it's, it is quite tough to find seasoned professionals in that industry, but secondarily, very specifically in the real estate investment world. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that real estate for bookkeeping is in, in some aspects quite simple, but in a lot of ways, very different from how traditional bookkeepers would operate bookkeeping for an active business. And, you know, so we were able to kind of grow that company and, um, build some some really tailored products and programs for realtors and real estate investors to be able to achieve good bookkeeping solutions, good practices in the way that they were, um, you know, analyzing and, and keeping their data um, and then giving them the reporting, especially for JV investors where, you know, reporting is, is a huge part of it between the, the money partners and the active partners. So that was a, um, you know, some fantastic work we've done there. Um, and that has uh, unfortunately been overshadowed by one of the other pieces of, of what I've been up to over the last couple of years, which is working and growing our mortgage team. Um, and so my, myself and my partner, Sue Danichuk, have been working together for 
about 18 months and um, we've we've started in in the brokerage industry uh, just a short few years ago for both of us actually she was um, in the mobile mortgage world with Scotiabank for the last 30 years um, and I was actually with a variety of companies Scotia included on the wealth management side um, and then just coming into COVID we decided to to join forces and work together on growing what has now become a, a mortgage team very focused on kind of real estate investors, um, higher net worth individuals, commercial investors, um, you know, individuals with large portfolios. And so we've had a lot of fun growing out that side of the business as well, to the point that I actually uh, quite recently just sold off the bookkeeping business. So I still uh, am on in a little bit of a retained capacity, but we have a fantastic team in Burlington that I, uh, I'll, I'll throw over to you. Maybe it'll be worth a shout out to them at some point to, to kind of take over that bookkeeping model and all of those established uh, practices and procedures that we had built for our bookkeeping clients uh, now have somebody taking that and, and running with a full time with a great staff behind them as well. Awesome. And are you like a financial planner or a financial advisor in addition as well? So yes and no. So that is my background. So I was in financial planning and wealth management for the last, I'm going to say six years before any of these industries. I don't actively hold licensing to sell products anymore. Um, I still do keep up my certified financial planning designation, but I think it's really helped a lot. Just add some context about the bookkeeping and the lending side where a lot of what we're doing for real estate investors. And, and even though we don't even actively run the bookkeeping business anymore, it's still a big part of what we do with our investors, which is helping them understand the holistic context. Right, helping them understand how different pieces of their puzzle fit together, how changing something in the accounting world affects, you know, planning and taxation, which affects, you know, the outlook of of their goals that they're trying to achieve, but it also affects the the ability for them to borrow and, and get the type of lending that they want. And, you know, I think there's as as a whole, there's this huge gap in the industry where so many of these pieces are so siloed, right? Where we see people taking, you know, direct advice from their accountant who's super focused on tax minimization and, and not forgetting that, you know, that may have impacts to other professionals that they need within their power team to be able to grow their, their portfolio effectively. So our approach is, is very holistic in that sense, even though in, in some of those aspects, I no longer practice. Awesome. All right, cool. So, so your, you know, your, I think your main focus right now is, uh, is a mortgage, uh, you know, helping people with their, their financing and all that good stuff. Uh, can I ask, and I actually don't know if I know this, but are you also a real estate investor? I am a real estate investor. Yeah. Can I ask what kind sure. of strategy you have as a primary strategy? Yeah. So um, my myself and my partner have been investing for quite some time. We actually got our first investment property back in the you know early 2013, 2014 era, where pretty much anything you bought cash flowed and there really <laughs> didn't have to be a strategy. I think we we picked up an Oakville condo for like $213,000 or something with a $616 mortgage payment. Um, wow. But I think, you know, we, we've gone through a couple different iterations over time. I think our, our focus right now is mainly on um, multifamily, um, you know, starting at kind of like four units and up. Many times we're starting to now play more specifically just in the active partner space and, and helping people find deals and run deals. You know, we're, we're part of a, a, something as big as a 22 unit project that's going on right now in, in Windsor that we just closed on last week. You know, we got two more upcoming at the end of the month, one in St. Catharines, one in Mississauga. 
the Mississauga one is a flip. So we're, uh, we're unfortunately a little bit all over the place, but I think we've been starting to kind of hone down on what we're really focused on, which is helping others and, and being that active partner that can be there to help others learn how to do this for themselves and learn how to grow a, a profitable portfolio. All right. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I figured you dabbled in, in real estate investing. I didn't know to what extent, but that, that is awesome. So obviously today, you know, I, I do want to talk about like very unique, strategic outside of the box financing that we don't necessarily get from a bank or just from doing a, a handful of deal. I want to talk about a couple things. So I want to talk about just some unique financing strategies for, you know, if you have no more T4 income and you've got a handful of properties and you're looking to acquire, you know, what's that next level, right? Once you get past those big banks, maybe, you know, you, I don't know, like there's some, something more than just credit unions and trust companies afterwards. Um, and, and one of the things I think was really interesting because you presented a little piece of this at one of my uh, webinars that I, I was hosting is, you know, blanket mortgages and commercial financing and all that good stuff. So, you know, why don't we start there? So let's just, Let's just talk about commercial financing and how that's different than maybe the traditional residential financing and how you can maybe structure it even with some residential types of properties. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's a great point. And I think it's a pain point for a lot of investors as they continue to grow their portfolio. And, you know, everybody's circumstance is unique. It could be from lack of employment income. It could be starting to property caps at the banks. But I think you know, every investor will eventually grow big enough to the point where a lending is not an option for them anymore, right? In, in a traditional residential setting. And I think when you start hitting that threshold, what we found for a lot of people is commercial products can be a great avenue. So when we start talking about commercial financing, I mean, a lot of people's knee-jerk reaction is on like retail and plazas and, and things like that. You know, when we talk about commercial financing in our world, um, although we do dabble a little bit in that, our focus is mainly on multifamily residential or residential that's large enough to be classified as a commercial loan. And so for most lenders, that would be classified as properties of five units or higher. Um, but there's also some unique opportunities in what we call portfolios, meaning, you know, we have a set of properties that individually would all, only be looked at as residential. So we have some single families, maybe a condo, maybe a fourplex, triplex. But we can actually blanket those all together and look at portfolio lending, which also ends up in the commercial space. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals and Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors. And Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome, Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the, the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single family purchases, and the list goes on. 
That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, give us a call or text at 905-592-4220, or check us out at The Right Club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. I think that's super interesting because to be honest, like I, I think I only found this out maybe a year ago that there was such a thing as blanket mortgages or, you know, being able to bundle certain residential properties together and, and get commercial financing. Maybe just walk us through a little bit more detail, like what that might look like. I know you said, you know, a three unit, four unit, single family, you bundle it together, but like maybe provide a little bit more insight so that we can. Wrap yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the, the way it's, it's really different, I think, for most people is, is a couple of things. I guess first and foremost, and, and as a real estate investor, I love seeing this. Once you get into real estate investing, you start to understand that the more properties you have, the less the banks like you. So every additional acquisition gets progressively more difficult, typically. Commercial lending is very much the opposite in that way. So even outside of the portfolio, they're actually looking to finance. Commercial lenders want to see experience. They want to see execution. They want to be able to go to their credit teams and not have execution risk be a worry, which means that if you can come to the table and show them that, you know, you've done this dozens and dozens of times, that's a huge value add to the lenders. And in, in their underwriting, it's a lot more outside of the box. It's not like, hey, look, this is how we do it. This is the guidelines. It's a yes or no, you either fit or you don't. So having that experience and having that, you know, number of properties and involvement in projects is huge. The other thing um, that's, that's absolutely critical in commercial lending is that portfolios are underwritten based on debt coverage rather than debt servicing. And so what that means is traditional residential lenders are looking at your ability as a person to cover the debt obligations that you have both on your primary home, on your investment properties, on your cars and lines of credit and student loans. And so while rental income is factored into the equation in the context that every different lender uses it in, in some different way that helps you, it's all still reliant on you having some level of personal income to be able to continue qualifying for these debts. Commercial lending, both in the context of larger multifamily properties, as well as in these blanket properties, uh, mortgage products, they're looking at the ability for the properties to cover their own debt. And so what that means is how does each individual property or each portfolio of properties meet its ability to service? And so if we can hit what they typically ask for being a, a 1.2 debt servicing, meaning we have a dollar and 20 of free cash flow for every dollar of debt repayment, personal income is not factored into the equation. Um, and so what that means is, you know, we've done $1.5 million loans for people with no jobs um, because they don't need the personal income to service, right? Because we can show that, hey, this, this property or this portfolio of properties is able to service itself. And that goes back to why you want cash flowing properties, right? And because if you don't yeah. have the cash flowing properties, this option may not help you get to that 1.2 debt coverage ratio that you're looking for, obviously, as, as a bundle. Absolutely. Can you just briefly, before you go on to your next point, what are they looking at as part of that DCR ratio? Like, is it like the mortgage, the taxes? Like, what are those expense items? 
they're really looking at, I guess, a few things. They're starting with the gross income. So you're looking at what is your gross income coming in the door? Going down from that, you're really looking at getting to that net operating income level. So starting with gross income, you have a vacancy threshold. So depending on your market center, a lot of times they're using uh, CMHC's market vacancies. Once you get through that, you have property taxes, you have utilities, you have insurance. Property management is almost always used. Now, keeping in mind that this is done usually as an average, so you don't need to have a property management contract in place because some investors do still self-manage as they grow their portfolio, but the lenders are going to make allocations for it, certainly. You know, they're going to look at repairs and maintenance, which are typically a per unit expense. So they may, they may put a blanket and say, hey, look, we're going to allocate $800 a year per unit as a repair and maintenance expense. And so basically anything that can roll into the financials of the property, and especially with the more established properties, they're going to start looking at tax returns or corporate financial statements to actually determine not just the, the projections, but the reality of it. And then they're going to get down to this net operating income, which is, hey, if you bought this property cash in hand today, how much free cash flow net of expenses would it generate? And that is the income that's being factored into the debt servicing. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So, okay. So let's just say you've got, you know, a, a three unit and a condo and a single family. Okay. You put all these into a corporation, like, where do you go? Like, is it like a, a typical a lender that will do this? Is it through the lawyer? Like mm. walk us through, cause I, just, let's just wrap our minds around how that works. Cause essentially you've got these three properties in a corp, uh, but what happens next? So I'll actually take one step back. They actually don't even have to be together in a corp. So one of the beauties of commercial financing is you don't have to try and aggregate property. So I can do a blanket mortgage on three properties that are held in personal name, one property held in corporation number one, two more properties held in corporation number two and wrap it all together. So for those that have already started growing their portfolio inside different corps in a personal name, you don't have to start moving ownership to do this. But really what we do is we start with the underwriting, which is let's analyze your portfolio and see how different combinations of properties aggregate themselves to give some sort of debt coverage ratio. So when we look at that condo, for instance, you know, you have that $2,000 of rent, but then you have property taxes that are coming off that you have condo fees coming off that you have insurance that's coming off that, you know, a condo might be something that doesn't create a lot of free cash flow, and it's not really going to support much in the way of debt coverage. Now, if we turn around and bundle that with a, you know, eight unit building, or even a four unit building somewhere in a really I'm going to say a, a cheaper market, a market that has better kind of rent to price ratios, you may be able to help use the value from the condo from the loan to value with the excess cash flow from a multifamily to support the loans on each other. So one property is providing lots of extra collateral, one property is providing lots of extra cash flow, and we're wrapping that together. So in doing the bundling, we can start crunching the numbers and understanding which of these properties does it actually make sense to present to the lender? What kind of outcome are we going to get by including different properties? And where are we going to add value from the context of being able to do equity extraction? And where are we going to add value from the context of being able to help with cash flow, right? And reduce payments or extend amortizations. So could these properties, could one be with Scotia, one with RBC, one with TD, or do they also like they have to be with one lender? Right now they can be anywhere. Okay. They can be some with A, some with B, some with private. But when we wrap them up in a bow, they're all going to go to one lender. So Got for it. instance, you know, one of the lenders we use, is, like we use the banks quite a bit for this. BMO does this, you know, all day long in, in that division. So we'll go to, you know, that division into their investment property finance division to their commercial banking division, depending on, on the loan size. And we're going to present them with this package that says, hey, here's our proposal. We're going to give you, you know, these five properties 
and this is what they look like as a collective underwrite, right? Aggregating the values and the, and the debt servicing from each of them, amalgamating it all together and asking for one big loan, right? And then BMO will come in and pay out all of the existing first and you know, wrap their arms around that portfolio of properties. What kind of loan to value are you seeing with these types of deals? Typically up to 75, 80 can be achieved very rarely. Amortizations are typically up to 25, although 30 can be achieved very rarely. Um, the banks typically like to use like commercial financing terms for these loans, which are really 25 year amortization maximums, 75% loan to value maximums although certain lenders will make certain exceptions uh, on a case by case. And the rates are typically in the, I don't know if we were to compare it to residential, maybe a percent higher than your prevailing residential rate. So a, a five-year residential fixed rate now might be 2.75, a five-year commercial might be 3.75. Also pretty much free. It's just, I, th- I think the, the biggest thing would just be the, the yeah. loan to value being a little bit shorter or less rather potentially, and the amortization not being 30 years. So that could take a little bit of cash flow out but that i think the biggest benefit from what you know i'm hearing you say is if you've got some equity and you can't unlock it the traditional way you know this could be a good option to do in order to be able to like acquire more um and unlock some of that cash does it come out as like ca- a cash out refi can you do a heloc mm-hmm. how does that work yeah they don't care no heloc but cash out refi is fine um, they don't care about equity extraction as long as the numbers work you know, and I think for, for most of the people getting into this situation, it's mainly people who are having a hard time extracting additional equity, right? So their, their portfolio LTVs may be like 40 to 60%. They have all this money, you know, they bought three, four, five years ago, maybe mortgage qualifying was easier at that time, or maybe they moved to be a professional real estate investor. So they use this as an equity extraction. The other thing that we can sometimes use this for is what we call like a reset. And so I'll give you an example. Let's say an investor had 10 properties in a corporation, uh, all corporately held for the rental portfolio. We come in, we wash, you know, even if there's maybe only a little bit of equity extraction, but we wash it out, we pull it into this like large commercial lending facility. What happens is that those, those loans are no longer a part of um, their balance sheet. Which I think right? is because really- residential lenders don't look at commercial financing. I mean, so once they're out, they're off of your Equifax report or whatnot, you can go back to Scotia and get your Correct. Now you're back five to again. property number one. <laughs> yeah. So it becomes this, this bit of a reset button, right? So if you, if you structure the acquisition properly from the get-go, mm. then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're five years in or 10 years in or however long it takes you for this to make sense. You go in, you, you do this blanket commercial takeout. Now you're going back and all you have showing is your primary residence again. The only big caveat to this is it has to be in a corporation for that to work because otherwise it's going to show in your T1 general, right? Because you're going to have all these statement of real estate rental, you know, but up to that point, it, it's a really great opportunity for an investor who's starting to get tapped on the number of doors or the number of properties, uh, maybe not so much on income or debt servicing to hit that reset button and, and get to start all over again. So, okay. So if, if they're not in a corp and they're in your personal name, then you've got to put them in a corp. What about taxes? So, I mean, I know you're I'll not an accountant in, you know, just like yeah. to put it out there, but from what you're I'll, I'll take two quick steps back okay. on that. So you, you can do it without putting them in a corp. The challenge is if you were ever in a position, if your income is such that you, 
you were providing your T1 generals to the lenders, your T1 generals are still going to show it. So there are situations where people can acquire properties and have income such that T1 generals are not part of the typical condition, but it is going to show there and that can cause challenges. From a, from a corporate standpoint, again, I'll preface not an accountant. Typically what we would look at doing is what's called a, a rollover. I think the accountants on here can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's the section 82 rollover where they get to basically roll the adjusted cost base forward. So moving them from personal to the, to the personally owned corp has no immediate tax implication. Really the biggest cost involved in that is gonna be number one, you can't just move your property into a corporation without refinancing it to begin with. So you could do that at the same time this commercial mortgage is being implemented. You're gonna have some legal and accounting fees to do so. And the big one that you can't really get around is you gotta pay land transfer tax again. And that's probably the biggest like fixed cost involved in that. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment here and pause the podcast to introduce you to one of my favorite contractors, John from Blackjack Contracting Inc. And he has been serving the Niagara, Hamilton and Brantford areas for the past three years and has become the area's legal basement suite renovation specialist. He works with many investors that I know and some newer investors, some more experienced investors, and he converts single family homes into multiple units, as well as my favorite strategy, the Burr strategy. So he's well-versed in those as well to make sure that we can achieve the maximum value of the property and the maximum ARV. He has also completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls, and everywhere in between as well. They do everything from permitting to the design to the final cleaning before listing our rentals for rent or for sale. And he's also a fully licensed electrical contractor. He's certified with ESA and he will take jobs of all sizes. So no job is too big. He's done a complete guts really from the ground up. So super impressed with his work and what he's been doing for fellow investors that I know as well. So if you wanted to reach out, his website is blackjack contractinginc.ca and you can ask him whatever questions you have. You can also reach out to him Instagram, which is at Blackjack Contracting Inc. And like he says, he knows that investing feels like the biggest gamble of our lives. So when you have Blackjack on your side, the house always wins. I will also add that there is currently a ban as of April 4th on new permits. So he will still actively work to the law's extent and actively work with investors to get projects planned out for when the ban is lifted. So that way you're not necessarily waiting and waiting and waiting. So guys, 100%, I recommend Blackjack Contracting. I will say that finding the right contractor is sometimes a hassle and getting a good one that works with investors that understands the numbers is going to be critical in our success, especially when doing the Burr strategy. And now back to the show. Yeah, I think you got to weigh you got to weigh it, right? So if there's like equity that you can't unlock versus the cost to, you know, move things over and restructure. But I, I think if somebody's yeah. got, you know, five, six, seven with Scotia as an example, because you know those are always the the, the best ones, yeah. and then all of a sudden you're capped, but you want to keep going with Scotia, maybe take three, move them over, and then you've got room for three yeah. more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's opportunities, and I think the other thing, you know, and this is kind of where the the planning aspect of what we do comes into play is understanding what our clients want as they're coming into this journey and what they strongly believe they have the capabilities to achieve, you know, right from property one, if you structure this right, you can be ready for the eventuality, right? We can look 20 properties ahead and say, okay, what happens five years from now? 
how are we structuring ourselves to make that a reality? And obviously there's always the risk that, you know, lending guidelines change and lender products change. But I think generally speaking, you know, you can kind of foreshadow some of this if you know the road you want to go down and make sure that you're putting yourself in a position to be able to execute some of these things quite easily. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like they say, like there's unlimited financing. It's just about knowing how to get it, where to go. There's just like there's unlimited funds as well. I think that the hardest part for most investors when they get the experience is finding the deals, the right deals that yeah. still make sense. I mean, creating the deals. But, absolutely. You know, from a financing yeah. standpoint, you know, it definitely, I, I do agree with you, David, just to have that, you know, ongoing, okay, what's the goal? What's, what does 10 years from now look like? What does five years from now look like? Work it out backwards. Because if you're just going into a straight, a bank or working with a mortgage broker that is not used to doing these things, you're probably going to have to like untangle a certain mess at some point, right? Because, yeah. because you're going to be stuck. So I, I think that's super, you know, that's super important. I, I know a little bit before when we were talking on the phone, uh, we talked about private banking and how there's a whole other realm of opportunities as well. So obviously this is the commercial financing, but you know, what is private banking? And, and I think you, you also utilize parts of it with, uh, with your clients. Maybe give us some insight on that. Sure. So I think, I mean, private banking, what a lot of people don't know is typically each bank's high net worth lending division. So in saying that private banking typically comes with some kind of benefits on, you know, account types and, you know, black credit cards and, and all, all the stuff that neither the, the banks and the real private banking clients don't care at all about. And what they really get into is very unique custom credit. And, and what I mean by custom credit is it's lending products that are very specifically customized to you as a borrower. And so one of the products that we, we leverage from one of the big five banks within the context of their private banking division allows us to collateralize uh, a number of different properties, insurance policies, investment accounts, all sorts of different assets that an individual would hold. And they can take those to the lender and they can create this giant collateralized loan across everything, right? And what that allows you to do is it allows you to have this really open-ended, super low cost that operates kind of like a line of credit lending facility that you can just move money in and out of. And you always have that trigger money when you're doing that next deal, you're just, you're buying it cash because you're writing a check and they'll, you know, work on collateralizing it into the loan structure. And I mean, they can do these facilities up into the, into the hundreds of billions of dollars. And so I think when we go through this, you know, with those clients, there's a very, very small segment of the population that fits that type of product, even in the high net worth state. Uh, loan to values are typically extremely limited. Like we're talking maybe 50 to 60% tops. It is not for real estate investors in the sense that you, you need to be able to also collateralize millions of dollars of, of liquid investments as well. So it can't just be that like just straight everything I have goes into real estate. Every time I have a piece of free cash flow, it's back into real estate. It needs to be the bank seeing somebody who's looking at real estate as a part of an overall diversified wealth strategy not, oh my God, I'm a professional real estate investor. This is all I do. Right. Yeah. So, so they like want that, that diversity. Funds, like insurance, whole life, all that good stuff. They, they mm -hmm. want to be able to take a look at that whole picture yes. for that. Yes. Person. They want to see that you're using real estate as a piece of your wealth strategy, not your entire wealth strategy. So I think somebody that's got 
you know, many, 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 many doors that's also willing and, and open to, you know, having a couple million or a million dollars of investable assets for them to be able to trade uh, with their mutual funds and all that good stuff. I think, I think that's the balance, right? Is not everything yeah. you said has to, can be in real estate. You've got to be open to their other options, but I'm sure there's some perks along the way. Absolutely. And I think, you know, for a lot of the clients, a lot of them are, are using this product as a way to create that diversification, right? So we're going to the bank and we're saying, hey, look, you know, we got $15 million in real estate asset here. Client only owes $5 million on it. Can you give us a $10 million product? And we're going to take another $5 billion and put it into more traditional financial instruments or traditional wealth management solutions, right? And let's borrow this $10 million lending facility at, at LIBOR rates and, and you know, rates well beyond what, what retail banking and, and retail mortgage companies can provide and, and be able to base things off, off LIBOR bankers' acceptance and, and have these huge lending facilities that are insanely cheap and interest-only payments. So you know, no principal repayment, insane changes to cash flow when something like that happens. It's like you know, borrowing your entire lending balance on this huge HELOC that's cheaper than mortgage rates with interest-only payments. It's, it's fantastic for those that can miss that box. Yeah, absolutely. And and just as a, as an average rule of thumb, like net worth wise, like what what do they have as a minimum in general? Like when you're looking at Scotia and RBC and all the BMO, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I would say to get access to these products, you know, at least five would be a good a good number. Um, typically, lending isn't going to happen under the one to two million dollar, three million dollar range, which would still be very very small loans for for these bankers. You know, but I, I would say. $5 million of net worth is a good number to at least start exploring it. And that would be, that's not 5 million in assets, that's 5 million in net worth. So mm-hmm. the, the assets last what you owe on them. Um, I think there's quite a few real estate investors out there that can hit that 5 million asset number very quickly. Of course. But I think, I think that's a, a really great starting point for people is to kind of build up to that and, and look at some of these really creative solutions that, that frankly, not very many people know are available. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a golden nugget that, you know, blanket mortgages. Is there, is there another like unique financing strategy that you've been utilizing a lot with people to scale and and just to open up some, some doors? Like, is there something else that that's not the typical residential, that's not the typical commercial five or more units, something different that's, that's in addition to that? Yeah. I think the only thing that I would say a lot of people aren't aware of is, is the insured commercial financing. So this doesn't work for blankets. It only works for actual multifamily properties, so five units and up. But uh, CMHC, which is the insurance body that facilitates what most people know as the you know ability to put 5% down on your primary residence, they also have a commercial division. Um, and so they can do what's called a multifamily insured loan, which is for five units and up. They have you know, the, the lenders that can lend these loans typically have fantastic mortgage rates well below your typical commercial rates, usually borderline residential rates. Um, amortizations as high as 40 years and loan to values as high as 85%. 40 years is good cash flow for the majority of the time when you can expand it that, uh, that amount of time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, and, and then having the high loan to value with the longer amortization, you know, what that really does is, to take a quick step back from a commercial lens, I find in today's real estate market, unless you're really investing in the, in the satellite markets well away from the GTA, most people are hitting caps on their ability for the properties to debt cover before they hit the loan to value cap. So 
that coverage on a particular property might only support a loan of 60 or 65% loan to value, even though the lender theoretically can do up to 75. And so by having that elevated loan to value on its own wouldn't really help a lot of people. But if you combine that with a 40-year amortization, what that means is that you're now taking that debt payment from a 25 to a 35 or a 40, and you're shrinking that payment substantially. So the same property can support a much higher loan amount when the payment is being amortized over 40 years, right? Because the payment is much smaller. And so that can help you extract that additional equity from those properties, you know, and really give it that like good, solid, long-term resting place for that mortgage. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's awesome. Great, great insight. Great pieces of information. Can I ask, you know, the, your, your top clients in terms of assets and not, not who they are, but, you know, are, are we working with, you know, somebody with hundreds of deals, hundreds of doors, like just to, so people understand like what's possible. You know, so for our team, we're typically working with investors right from getting into their first rental properties to learning on how to do, you know, an equity extraction from the primary residence to get that first down payment together to buy their first rental, you know, right up to working with investors that have hundreds and hundreds of doors. You know, we've, we've seen transactions up to hundred unit apartment buildings. We've seen pretty much everything. I think a lot of people set their sights kind of short when it comes to real estate investing. I don't think people actually understand the scope of, of what can be possible for those that have enough ambition and, and execution strategies and planning to be able to achieve that level of, of performance within a real estate growth strategy. Amazing. Awesome. David, that was great. I mean, we can keep talking, but I, I think we've got, you know, uh, almost a few minutes left and we have to go to our lightning round, but I will say, you know, financing, there's a whole wide range of opportunities. It's not just the big banks. It's not just the trust companies and the credit unions. There is so much more. So definitely work with somebody on your team that can help you see what other options there are. And everybody's going to be super unique. I mean, you can even do a bear trust. We won't get into that right now, but you know, there's lots of opportunities to move forward. So absolutely. And I just want to throw one last thing in there just because uh, you mentioned it, not, not for a bear trust agreement, but one of the really important things in the commercial world is they are absolutely okay with joint ventures where residential lenders are not. So we can take a deal to an A commercial lender and say, hey, these are the capital partners. They're providing all the money. They're not going to be guaranteeing the deal. They're not really involved other than writing a check. And hey, we're the active partners. We're going to run the show. We're not providing any capital, but we're going to make sure the execution of this project goes smoothly. That can absolutely be presented to a commercial lender. And I think so many kind of active partner, money partner combinations can struggle so much in the residential world because the residential lenders, if they get a whiff of that, will, will absolutely shut it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you don't fit into a um, little square box. Absolutely. So that, that is the one last thing I wanted to mention about commercial is it's definitely possible to do as teams, not just as individuals. Very cool. Awesome. David, our next uh, part of this podcast is lightning round. So I'm going to ask you five questions. You can give me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready to play? I'm ready to play. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Complete Properties. If you need a great property manager to help you in the Niagara, Hamilton, and Burlington markets, reach out to Margaret Cameron at 905-920-7886. She can also be reached at margaret at completepminc.com via email or the website completepropertiesinc.com. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book? I would say the best real estate investing book I've ever read was the Profit First 
it's not completely about real estate investing, but it's been a phenomenal model for you know, financial health in, in any type of business and really specifically for us in real estate investment. Amazing. Number two, it doesn't have to be real estate specific, but do you have a favorite podcast on any topic? I always loved the Freakonomics podcast. That was always something growing up and, and, you know, doing economics, going through school that I just, I always thought those guys did a fantastic job and there's some, some super interesting stuff on there. Very cool. Number three, what do you do for fun aside from anything related to real estate? Fun outside of real estate. Don't get a whole lot of time for that. But, but when we do, you know, mostly stuff outside, rock climbing, uh, paddle boarding, you know, trying to, trying to get out and enjoy nature. All right. Very cool. Number four, if you lost everything tomorrow, your assets, your cash, your money, all that good stuff, how would you start again? How would I start again? Um, you know, if I lost everything in that regard, I, I absolutely think teaching people how to execute those strategies is, is absolutely how I'd start. It would definitely be leveraging, leveraging the knowledge base and, and the wealth of, of opportunity and exposure that, that I've been able to have up to this point to kind of help people grow. All right. Very cool. Last question. If somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend that money? My personal theory is, is get a primary resident. I think, I think counterintuitive to a lot of other real estate investors, I think creating some, some personal stability first is, is great. And I think people underestimate how much more opportunity there is when they have something that's, that's growing behind them. Right. And there's lots of opportunity to still get you know, houses for that in, in Southwestern Ontario. Very cool. Okay, cool. Thanks for the advice, David. Thanks for playing the lightning round. How can my listeners reach out and find out more? Awesome. So you guys can reach out to me over email is probably the best. And uh, I'll, I'll throw share the links at the bottom as well as the link to our Facebook page and our website. All right. Do you mind just um, spell like oh, what the email is? Sure. Yep. It's uh, David, D-A-V-I-D at the Danichuk team, T-H-E-D-A-N-Y-C-H-U-K-T-E-A-M.com. Amazing. David, thank you so much. That was great. And thank you for, uh, for also like helping me as uh, you were helping me with all of my bookkeeping and paperwork back in the day. But I know you've helped many people from a, a mortgage standpoint. I'm looking forward to working together as well as, uh, as I'm growing my, my portfolio and doing some unique things. So David, thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sarah. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons, and at the time, they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away, and eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that, and the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked, and also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. 
And you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.